Hello, welcome to another episode of Daily Feasting on the Words of Christ, helping disciples of Jesus Christ to engage with the Book of Mormon on a more deeper and personal level. So today we are in pages 277 to 282 and just sharing some of my personal insights and thoughts from these six pages and uh, and how the Lord works with the house of Israel. And the first thing that struck me was towards the end of chapter 27, it talks about how the anti-Nephi-Lehi's or the people of Ammon, as they're actually now referred to by the Nephites, how um, they're not afraid of death. They are very willing to die and even the most ignominious and most torturous death ever. Um, Mormon describes it in the most aggravating and distressing manner which could be inflicted by their brethren. But they would rather do th- They would rather suffer death than break their covenants or commandments with God. And to me, that, that is so incredibly amazing about how sincere and how dedicated to the gospel and to keeping their promises with God. How, you know, they're just... How dedicated they are. It's absolutely incredible and amazing to think about that these people didn't fear death. They feared sin way more. And for a lot of people, death is really scary because it's so unknown. You can only, a lot of people only really know what it's like to die or what it's like after death once you're dead. And most of the time people don't come back to tell you about it. But, um, like these anti-Nephi-Lehi's and so much faith in Christ and in the resurrection that to them, death wasn't something scary. It was just like a graduation from mortal life and into eternal life. It was just a progression, a step, another journey to take through on this life. It, you know, to them, death was not an unknown mystery. It was just another step in the path. And so they they had no fear. And I think that's just absolutely amazing and I am so much in awe of their faith. And in the faith of many of the the people in the Book of Mormon, um you know, of Nephi and Ammon and how they had so much faith in trusting God that they had no fear. And, um, you know, we talked a lot about this in the bonus episode with Emily Applegate. Actually, we talked about how they, their faith was so strong in the promises of God that they didn't have any fear whatsoever. And I was thinking, 
that's somewhere I would like to be. That's, that's where I want my faith to be, is so strong in the promises of God that I have no more fear. That I can walk through death and through tribulation with so much trust in God that I do not have any doubts. That I do not need to worry. That I do not falter or misstep or hesitate. Like that That's where I want to be. Just so faithful that there are no more doubts and there are no more fear. That the voices of Satan and his demons that try to get me to falter just completely disappear because I have so m- that I'd have so much faith in God's promises. That that's where I want to be. And you know, it's also interesting to look at it from the people who are living, from their perspective, of those that they've lost, you know. Um, there's been so many wars, and so a lot of people have died. And so those that are left behind, how do they view the death of their loved ones? And it says that there was a lot of mourning in the land, uh, but especially for those who died not being prepared to meet God, like those who died in their sins, that those who were faithful in Christ, yes, there was some mourning, there was some sadness, but there was also rejoicing because they knew that they were righteous and that God had received them into his rest. And it's interesting how with the gospel, death actually brings joy and not sorrow per se. Like there, there is some sorrow because, you know, we, we miss loved ones. And that's natural. And that's okay. But there's also a lot of joy that comes with death because for those who are prepared to meet God, that, I mean, that's where we eventually want to end up, <laughs> is to live with God again. And in order to do that, we have to go through the gates of death. We have to take that step. We have to graduate from mortality and go on and into the afterlife in order to meet God. And so... There is some joy in that because they are continuing in their progression of life towards Heavenly Father. And um, it's just so interesting to see how they view death. And Mormon has this very interesting phrase in... I think it's Mormon, but phrase in verse 13, where he says, And thus we see how great the inequality of man is because of sin and transgression and the power of the devil, which comes by the cunning plan, which he hath devised to ensnare the hearts of men. So the phrase is inequality of men because of sin and transgression. I think that's very interesting because, you know, when we think about the inequality of men, we actually think of it more in a temporal sense, at least very politically, that's the case. But here Mormon's talking about it on a spiritual level, that there is an inequality spiritually, that there are people who die in their sins, and they are consigned to misery and endless woe, and that those who had faith in Christ and repented will receive happiness and joy. 
and it was just interesting to see him phrase it as an inequality that sin is what makes us unequal to be quite honest I'm not sure what he means but I think what he for me it seems like what he's getting at is that you know this that this is something to help remedy right when we say equality it it denotes an idea that this is something to remedy we need to make people equal or we would like to make people equal and so he says that and thus we see the great call of diligence of men to labor in the vineyards of the Lord. And thus we see the great reason of sorrow and also of rejoicing. Sorrow because of death and destruction among men, and joy because of the light of Christ unto life. So he's saying that, you know, there are people that die without knowing Christ, and there are people who die in their sins without realizing that they need Christ, even if they've heard about him. Like there's, you know, all these people that die in misery and that's so sad and how great a responsibility that those who do have the gospel that they have a great responsibility to share that with as many people as the Lord asks them to share so that people can know about Christ and live a life of joy and peace so that they may have that opportunity to choose eternal life or eternal death. Those who have the truth are given a great responsibility to share that with those who don't have the truth. And so I kind of think that that's where what Mormon is getting at. He's getting at our responsibility to share the truth with people. To help everyone come closer to Christ. To preach the gospel. To preach faith and repentance and baptism and receiving the Holy Ghost. To teach the doctrine of Christ. We have a huge responsibility to do that. And to help God's children to return to Him. So that when death comes, as it will come to all of us, that they may die prepared to meet their God. That they may die and receive eternal glory. Now, if they die without coming to the knowledge of the truth, God has prepared another chance, another place for them to learn of the truth. But God has called us to also preach the truth here and not to let them wait until death. To not let the spirit world be an excuse to not preach the gospel. There is work to be done there and there is work to be done here. There are so many souls that are born without the knowledge of Jesus Christ and that live and die without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it's sad to think that people, you know, live in lives of darkness without no ever knowing that there was ever light. 
And Alma, he he feels this so deeply that he says something that I think a lot of us are familiar with. He says, Oh, that I were an angel and could have the wish of mine heart that I might go forth and speak with the trump of God with a voice to shake the earth and cry repentance unto every people. He, Alma is so overcome with sorrow at the thought that there are people who die without the knowledge of Christ that he wishes he could teach everyone all at once by being an angel and blowing a trumpet and causing the whole earth to shake. But Alma recognizes that actually there's, he sins in his wish that God's plan is wise and good and true, that everyone gets taught in their own language and in their own nation, that people are taught individually and also with their families. God likes to preach to the one as well as the many. He wants to know each of us on an individual basis and not on a like entire population basis. And I think having the gospel preached to one person in their own language, in their own tongue, shows how much that God cares about that person. That he wants to have an individual relationship with that person. That he wants to share the gospel to him one-on-one in a way that he'll understand. That, that, sh- I, that to me shows how personal God is. And how much he loves us on a personal level. He doesn't just throw the truth out there into the air. He comes to us in individuals. He comes to us with a clear choice. And he allows us to make that choice. Without there being fear. No, he doesn't make us fear and tremble to get us to repent. He comes to us with love. And asks us to change. Because he knows we'll be happy if we do. You know, it's just so cool to think about how much God loves his children. You know, I was talking about that with Emily Applegate in the bonus episode. You know, God loves us very much on a very individual and personal level. That's why there's personal revelation. That's why we send missionaries out to talk to individual people in their own languages and their own tongues. You know, and it's because God wants to come to the one. He wants to save the one. Then in part of our other six pages, we get chapter 30, which is an Antichrist chapter. These chapters I have said previously are some of my favorite. They are absolutely amazing. Because I love how the servants of God just stand up with power against the servants of the devil. 
It is absolutely fantastic. So cool, so amazing. And we can learn from that because um, you know, Satan is always constantly telling us lies. Like the Antichrists are spreading lies across the people. And we can see how to combat those lies by the example of the righteous people and just the kind of power that God has to help those who believe in him and will fight for him. Right? Remember from our last Antichrist kind of stuff with Zezerah and Alma and Amulek? I talked about how God is in the trenches with us. And we're going in the trenches again. And it's awesome. I, I, guys, you, I get so excited reading these chapters. They're absolutely amazing. And so as you read chapter 30 or, or maybe review chapter 30 again, if you've already read it, you know, go back and think about, okay, what are the lies that he's saying? And have I ever heard those lies before? Is Satan telling me those lies in my life right now? How, and if not, awesome. Then learn what Alma says to combat it. So if that Satan does ever come at you with that, you're already prepared. If Satan is telling you those lies, same thing. Learn what Alma says so that you can prepare. And granted, we'll get more into uh, Alma's counterattack against these lies tomorrow in tomorrow's episode. Um... But we're going to see how some people, some of the people, how they res- their different responses to the lies and how that kind of affects them and their ability to keep the commandments. So Korhor comes along and, you know, some of his lies are a little interesting You know, and he says that there will be no Christ. He calls it a vain and a foolish hope. Yoke yourselves with such foolish things. He says, how can any man know of anything which is to come? And he calls prophets foolish. He says, how can you know of anything for sure that's in the future? You know, the only things you can know of for sure are the things that you can see. He calls people who look for remission of their sins frenzied and deranged. And he says that there's no atonement, that every man prospers according to his strength and his genius. First off, here's something that you can know about Satan's lies. Versus what God tells us. I've been reading uh, an article by Dallin H. Oaks. It was a speech from somewhere. I'm not exactly sure. But it's titled Spiritual Gifts. So if you look up Spiritual Gifts by Elder Oaks, I'm pretty sure you'll come across this talk. And it's really cool because he talks about spiritual gifts and it's awesome. And in there, he talks about how you can discern between true and false spirits, or basically between Satan and between God. 
God speaks to edify. Edify meaning to enlighten, to define, to help people understand. Um, let me look it up real quick. Because the dictionary always phrases things better than I can. Uh, edify, to instruct and improve the mind and knowledge generally and particularly in moral and religious knowledge in faith and holiness. To teach or persuade. To build. Right? So this is... So God speaks to us in a way to teach us, to edify us, to help us to improve. I don't think calling us frenzied and deranged is very edifying. If you have to call people names, I don't know that you have the spirit of God with you. You know, and... What's interesting about these lies is Satan tries to make them sound very logical. Right? He says, the only thing you can know of for sure are the things you can see. And if you believe in things you can't see, then you're crazy. Right? And nowadays, that seems very logical. But the thing about Satan's lies is they're always illogical. Satan is very subtle that way. He can make logical fallacies seem logical. He can make his lies sound scientific and professional when really they're not. And he does it in such a way that it's not edifying. It is... It either tears people down or it flatters them into complacency. Like it doesn't help us to improve or come closer to Christ, nor does it encourage us to help others come closer to Christ, right? He says, every man fares according to his own strength and genius. And that that's not edifying. And so... Satan tries to get us to not help others. Satan tries to get us to tear each other down. And also to make us disbelieve in the spiritual promptings of the Lord. And to doubt their reality and doubt their existence. Right? All, he talks about these prophets who have received testimonies, visions, angels... And he says that they're frenzied and deranged. No, the, the 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 revelation that Lord gives that the Lord gives us is real and true. It's not frenzied or deranged to say that they have received a witness from God and to know that of things to come, right? It seems completely logical to me that God, who knows everything can share with his children what will happen in the future. That's completely logical. We can know of things to come because God already knows what's going to happen. And so we can have faith and trust in that. We can have faith and trust in God's word. If he says something will happen, it will happen. Because, I mean, in the scriptures, his words are always fulfilled. We learned about that yesterday. His words are always fulfilled. 
And so when Korhor talks to the people in Zarahemla, they listen, and then a lot of people fall away. But when Korhor goes to other lands, like Jershon, where the people of Ammon are, they don't listen. Instead, they bind him up, take him to the high priest of their church in that area, and they kick him out. And then Korhor goes to Gideon. Same thing happens. Bind him up, take him to the high priest. And then they, these people kick him out again, but they take him to the chief judge of the land and to Alma, who's the high priest over all the church in the land. And so I like how these people deal with Satan's lies. They don't entertain them. When they recognize it's a lie, they bind it up and cast it out. I really like that approach to Satan's lies. As soon as we recognize that the voices we're hearing are not from God, that they're not edifying, that they're not helping us come closer to Christ, or they're not helping others come closer to Christ, then um, that we can recognize it as Satan and we can cast it out. We don't have to listen to those voices anymore. We can choose to cast them out of our mind and instead bring in the Spirit of the Lord by reading the scriptures or by praying or by singing a hymn or by going out and serving somebody or, you know, doing something good, doing something that is edifying, doing something that will bring in the Spirit of the Lord. And so I, I really like how the people of Ammon and the people in the city of Gideon, deal with Korahor and his lies. And, you know, tomorrow we're going to talk more about those lies and about how Alma responds to them. Um, but if you want to take some time to really ponder how, you know, how can you... You know, what, what lies do you feel like Satan is trying to tell you? What do you feel like is not edifying? What do you feel like is tearing you down? What do you think is, what thoughts are bringing you to darkness and not to Christ? Write them down and then go into the scriptures and find the counterattacks. You know, find a way to kick them out. The Find out what God wants to say to you. Also think about how can you share the gospel with someone today. They could already be a member. That's fine. Everyone needs the gospel. If they're not a member, even better. Like, that's awesome. Just how do you want to share your light today? How can you help somebody come closer to Christ? That's what missionary work and sharing the gospel means. Is sharing the light of Christ with those that we meet and come in contact with. So... Please, if you've received any impressions or any insights, take the time to write them down and act upon them immediately. Immediate action is key. Share this podcast episode with somebody. That could be sharing the gospel. That could be sharing your light. You know, just by sharing these episodes or sharing this podcast with somebody and just being like, hey, I listen to this podcast and I read this book and it's really helped me to be happier in my life is like, and I would, would you want that? Like, is this is something I want to give you. I think you would really benefit from this, you know, however you want to say it. And 
remember that you're awesome. God is awesome and he's got you. Just remember to keep the commandments and he will fight your battles for you. He will help you to fight against Satan and against his lies. He will help you to detect where those thoughts are coming from and be able to cast them out. So remember, God loves you. And I will talk to y'all later.